Welcome to this episode of the Jackson Lucas Impact Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Chris Papa, here with everyone's favorite co-host, Michael Sonia. How you doing, Mike? Hey, everybody. Happy to be here again with you, Chris. Thanks, buddy. And so today we interviewed Teodora Zobel. She's the Chief Investment Officer at Midwood Investment and Development in New York City. What'd you think, Mike? How'd you do? Great. Great listen and uh, looking forward to getting this one launched. Yeah, she's awesome. There's not many women CIOs in the world. She's super smart, very chill, um, balancing, uh, you know, being a CIO of a national company and um, has three kids. And she kind of talks a little bit about how how that is in the world and um, just an amazing woman and uh, very lucky to have her on the, on the podcast. So please enjoy the episode. And also, like always, please subscribe and rate and review. It's always helpful. So thanks so much. today how are you i'm happy to be here great to see you you look like you're out in southampton so how 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 is southampton doing today it's doing well it's warm my kids are at camp so it's quiet and uh (laughs) things are good you having a great summer yeah so far i mean other than what's happening in the world Everything here is great. You wouldn't tell that the world is crumbling around us walking around town. So it's good. Yeah. I mean, what, what are you, uh, what's going on with, you know, the question on the street now is with interest rates and inflation and all this jazz, like you're the chief investment officer there. So what are you seeing? Uh, I mean, what's, or is it still like a wait and see attitude? What's kind of the, what are you seeing in the market? I actually just heard today that all major banks are suspending commercial real estate lending for three months. Wells, JP, Morgan. <laughs> so that's not wow. Um, it could be just pause and see for a little while and they reinstate, but it's never a good sign. <laughs> um, you know, so far, it's funny because we own Midwood um, owns a ton of multifamily retail and some office Mm -hmm. and you know the tenants seem to be doing okay which is sort of not what you see in the world with you know the news you read but both of our retail tenants our retail velocity is still good our residential tenants are paying their rent rents have come up substantially that you do hear about um so i think it's going to take a little time for some of this to to funnel down to the to the tenant to the user, but certainly it's impacting markets and capital markets, and we're seeing that everywhere. I mean, the job market. I mean, Mike and I obviously are you know recruiters. It's our our day jobs. I mean, we're it's still very robust um, across the board. So we haven't seen anything. I mean, I've had one client that was like, "Hey, maybe we'll pause on something," and like. For a couple months and they actually want we're doing that because they wanted to see if they get a discount on like in like three months on like people they're hiring you know um <laughs> so yeah i don't know um 
And plus, we were at such record pace, right? I mean, we're, it was just so crazy that, you know, and we were printing money during COVID. I mean, it's bound to have some sort of, you know, you got to pay that back eventually, right? Yeah. Um, and now we're kind of paying that back. But I, I mean, my, I don't, I mean, I, I was there through, you know, seven, oh, eight, oh, nine and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was, that was pretty low. I, I mean, I can't imagine it being something like that. Um, was that announcement today with, uh, it hasn't been announced. announced. It hasn't been announced. Oh, wow. okay. it's announced now. <laughs> no, uh, I, you know, <laughs> this, rumor, isn't going, this isn't going out but, for a couple weeks. So you're good. Uh, mm-hmm. Could definitely be a rumor. I hope it is a rumor, but that's what I've heard. It seems like a lot of these markets are all disconnected right now, um, which, you know, who knows what, what, what's there to come. Um, but yeah, that's, that's big news. It's true. <laughs> Hopefully it's not. And I'm just we'll find out by the time this, this podcast goes out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How, but, uh, well, tell tell us about Midwood. Sure. Please. So we're an owner operator developer based in New York. Um, it's run by John Usdan, and it's his, primarily his family's um, capital. And we build multifamily, typically luxury multifamily, in New York, in LA, in Philadelphia, and Boston. And we also acquire. Um, large mixed-use buildings, and we operate a portfolio of about 130 assets in Northeast and some on the West Coast. And um, we're in the West Coast. In LA. Oh, LA. Yeah, yeah, yeah LA. Yeah. You guys got uh, some retail there, right? So we're building a large project. It's called the Shops at at Studio City. Um, so the retail is completed and now we're in the process of entitling the rest of the site for residential and additional retail. How, how have you seen the retail? I mean, so you guys, I mean, I, I, your main component seems to be residential, right? That's the main component. And then the second largest, uh, portion of your portfolio is, is retail. Um, how have you seen retail being kind of reshaped or, or what, what have you seen in the retail world the last couple you of years? Know, during COVID, it was certainly rough. I mean, we just had a lot of tenants, whether for real reasons, um, meaning, you know, they had to shut down, obviously restaurants, service tenants have to shut down, but even, or, and some tenants just took advantage, even if they didn't have to shut down or they didn't have yeah. impact. So it was definitely tough during you know, the COVID time period where there were governmental restrictions, but now we're pretty much back to full, you know, our vacancy across our portfolio, I think is 4%. Um, and mm. they're back to paying full rents. So the recovery was quicker than we thought. Part of that, obviously, as you said, the government helped with. Um, yeah. But part of that is just, I think the resiliency of some of our markets. Um, you know, everyone, I remember, you know, everyone saying New York was just done pretty much during the right. pandemic. And mm-hmm. you certainly don't feel that in the neighborhoods today. You may feel that still a little bit in the business districts, but you don't feel that in the mm-hmm. neighborhoods. Well, we're, you know, our headquarters is on 40th and Broadway. I mean, I, I, I'm not there. Mike's a lot, there a lot more than I am. Like, what do you, what do you see there, Mike? Yeah. I mean, it, it's come back strong, I think. Um, when I do go in, I take the bus and my buses are packed. So that's a sign that, you know, workers are going back in and, and employers are getting their people back in at least a couple of days a week. So, um, yeah, I mean, the streets are busy and seem, 
things seem to be moving along nicely. So we'll see what we'll see what there is to come. Yeah, Theodore, what's your uh, like as far as uh, Midwood? Do you have like uh, everyone's trying to navigate like the in-office policy with workers? Like, what do you guys do? You have any sort of policy? We work from home Fridays. Um, you can choose one day a week, Friday or Monday, but most people have chosen Friday, so it's just ended up being Fridays. In the summer, um, you know, we we always had summer Fridays anyway, so it sort of doesn't make a difference. But um, we're probably the least, you know, in terms of other industries. I think real estate is the least flexible, from what I've seen. Many people are in the office. Other industries obviously have more flexibility. Yeah. Um, when you want your tenants to be in the office and pay rent, it's like, you got to like lead the way. Yeah, you got <laughs> to talk to talk and walk the walk. We were actually back in the office in a few days a week in July of 2020. So definitely. We yeah, we start, part. we started coming back in August or in that summer of 2020, Yeah, but that's definitely early. Um, it was funny, you know, if you went out to lunch that summer in the city, it was basically real estate networking because the only people <laughs> in the restaurants were real estate professionals. So, but yeah, that's changed a lot now. It'll, have, you, have you changed just on the, on the res, you have a lot of office too. I mean, maybe not a lot, but like it's, it's part of your portfolio. Like, how is that? I mean, yeah. I mean, people are, aren't coming back. They're like, there's the whole sub new sublease bigger sublease market out there. Like what are you seeing in the office market in your portfolio? So we only own a few office buildings and they're smaller. So we have the long-term leasehold at 430 Park Avenue. It's a smaller building on Park. Um, we own some some office in Soho. And in those buildings, we're not seeing an issue, but I think the larger buildings on 6th and 3rd are where there's a big problem because it's sort of commodity space that requires a huge landlord work letter to fix up. Mm. And I think today, just where interest rates are, most of those buildings, you know, the equity is not, you know, the lenders are starting to technically mm -hmm. own those buildings. Um, right. I think there's more of an issue in some of those large, older, commodity office buildings than there is in either the new stuff that's been built or smaller boutique buildings. Right. And you're the chief investment officer. Like, what are you, what is a typical Midwood investment look like? What are you t looking for? Yeah, I mean, we recently purchased 160 unit building in the West Village. It's on Oh wow. Okay. 7th Ave between 13th and 14th Street. So it was a little over 60% fair market, um, had some retail at the base. And what we liked about it is, you know, in the village, even if rents do come down over time because of a recession or, you know, a deterioration in, in the economic landscape, there's so little rental product in the village, especially right. high quality rental product. They're not building any new rental product, right? Because you just can't afford to build rentals right now. Um, and half of the neighborhood is in a landmarked or historic district. Mm. So we liked the pricing power and we liked, you know, the bones of the building, the views were great pretty much all around. Um, and there we're fixing up um, some of the amenity spaces, 
common areas, and then just cosmetic uh, unit renovations. So, gotcha. you know, we like those kinds of deals. On the other side of our business, we develop. So we're building um, a few hundred units in Philadelphia, a few hundred units in LA. We have a project in the Gowanus in Brooklyn. Um, mm. So, um, we're also, you know, we look to continue to build our pipeline. So land acquisition, either covered land or vacant land for development in our markets. And yeah, tell us about like, uh, I assume that's the 210 South 12th Street you're talking about with the, uh, in Philly? That's one project in Philly, yeah, that we're developing in Center City, Philadelphia. Um, Can you tell us about that one? Sure. It's a, it's going to be a luxury high rise rental building. Um and you know where we hired a an international architect, uh, Roger Stark, to design the building. Any relation to Tony Stark from the Avengers? No, I don't think so. Darn it. Um, I don't think so. <laughs> that would be really interesting, though. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. So. Do you, you like know, Philly? I mean, did you pick Philly? That. Why? Why Philly? Why? I mean, you're a New York New York firm. Um, We've owned in Philly since the '90s. We own a lot of properties in Center City, Philadelphia, near um, Rittenhouse Square. Retail, mixed use, residential properties, um, and we've liked. You know, I think at the time that John purchased those assets, rents were twenty bucks a foot, um, mm. and today they're one hundred and fifty bucks a foot. So that market has improved over time. It's still not seeing on the residential side anywhere near the rents of a place like New York or San Francisco, but um, it's been improving slowly over time. And there's been more job growth and population growth in, in the center city area over the years. So yeah, we're, when you're, we're when you're doing investments in. like that outside of New York, are you looking like a lot of data? Is there like data-driven investments? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think you have to these days. We've um, we have our internal data analytics capability. We've built out proprietary algorithm. I think anyone who's not thinking in those terms these days is going to have a hard time really understanding what's happening in these markets, especially now as things are changing so rapidly. But we study migration, income growth, zip code by zip code, in some cases, block by block. Um, just to really understand what's going on. Because mm. especially with inflation, if you're not, if you know, if we don't target areas where people's wages and outcomes are outpacing inflation, right. um, it's gonna be a hard, you know, it's gonna be hard to get to the rents we need. Does Midwood uh, self-perform construction? Are you seeing any challenges on that end or how do you guys go about building? We don't self-perform, but we're certainly seeing mm -hmm. challenges. <laughs> um, you know, we just over the last two years, it's been it, it's been very difficult to underwrite hard cost numbers because just the level it's on so many different levels. Labor costs have just shot up. Mm -hmm. um, there just isn't the labor in many of our markets, and it's pushing. You know. First of all, it's making a lot of the GCs picky and they don't they don't want a project. They'll just simply submit, you know, numbers that are outrageous so that because they just don't care. They're just so busy um, and right. take it right. on if if it's profitable enough. Otherwise, they won't. Um, 
but so and, and then obviously materials cost everyone knows what's happened there and that the volatility associated with that but it's it's just across the board it's been very difficult um you know and then the lending environment mm-hmm. you know just keeps moving so it's been across the board <laughs> challenging i think something's got to give right something's got to give i mean um, the good news is that rents are up uh rents are up in all of our markets significantly have you have you diversified into new markets kind of through the pandemic and through opportunity or have you kind of stuck with what you know we've thought about it you know we way before the pandemic we wanted to try to move some of our capital into business friendly environments which we're not in um just given the nature Mm -hmm. of our investments we find though that you know operating large multifamily buildings development is such a local you really need to understand the market in some cases you really need to understand the political landscape um you know what a different councilman you know will mean for a particular project and it's just so nuanced and so local that as hands-on sponsors it's not that easy and it's hard because it's sort of finding the right balance in a market. You don't want to enter with a small check because then it's sort of, you know, what's the point, but then yeah. if you're going to do a large project. You need to make sure it's staffed properly with a local team. And so finding that when we entered LA a few years ago, let's say five years ago, no longer than that, seven years ago, you know, we found a large nine acre site, which felt, large enough for us to really build out a local expertise there. Um, so that's how we justified that initial investment and then continue to build from there. So you're the chief investment officer. That's a big, that's a big title. It's a big role. What does the chief investment <laughs> officer do? <laughs> it's, it's sort of, it's fascinating now, just given what's happening in the world. So I oversee acquisitions, dispositions, capital strategy. Um, if we're bringing in investors, you know, how do we structure that, you know, so that it's the best fit for a particular project or deal profile? Um, just how do we allocate our resources, our capital across all the different opportunities, both inside our organization and then, you know, new deals and, and the like. Is there any sort of skill sets like someone's like, say someone's listening, they're young in their career, early in their career, they're like, man, I want to be a chief investment officer. Like what sort of skill sets should they have in order to get there? Well, I think the biggest thing is just being able to evaluate risk because so I run this team for family office, right? So every organization is different and risk is looked at different ways but Mm. there's when you when you're representing a family office there's capital preservation as first and foremost for you know future generations as well as the current generation and making sure you know it's hard for acquisitions people sometimes to migrate their thinking from just want to do deals and you know as opposed to just what's the real risk and how do we make sure that we not only grow our asset base over time, but we make sure we preserve, you know, manage to the downside and make sure we have optionality on all of these assets if, if COVID does happen or if, you know, the world shifts again. So making sure you don't over lever on any deal or you don't, you know, 
take on too much meds or, you know, many people are now seeing the pitfalls of over leverage um, mm. in their deals. And it, it happens from time to time. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see that when times are good, but at some point things do turn. Gotcha. And then, yeah, let's, let's, let's just, let's take us through your, your career here. So um, like we said earlier, I think off, off, uh, off podcast, offline or whatever, we, we're all through seven, three, two area codes. Um, Jersey. We're, we're all Jersey folk. Um, <laughs> that's why we get along so well. What, uh, like take us through your career. Did you, you grew up in New Jersey? Did you, did your family do real estate? Did you like, how did you fall, get into this, not fall, but how did you get into yeah. this career? So actually I was born in Bulgaria. Uh, my family immigrated here when I was nine, actually to okay. the side Queens, which is where all immigrants go when they come to New yeah. York, I feel like. My dad, my dad grew up in Douglaston. So just actually Richard Backrack from Bayside Queens, the guy who's founded our, our firm. Yeah. Yeah. I think Queens in so general is the melting pot. Yeah. Yeah. So. You're a Mets fan too, Dora. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. And then we, you know, my family just moved to New Jersey, moved to the suburbs when I was in junior high school. And where'd you grow uh, up in Jersey? Central Jersey, um, near Red Bank. I don't know if you know that area at all. Yeah, I know. Near what, the PNC Art Center. What town? It was called Lincroft or it is called Lincroft. So okay. I'm from Marlboro. So I'm real, I'm very close. Yeah. I went to Middletown South. Oh yeah. Same conference. Do you know, uh, shoot, I dated a woman from Middletown. She was a girl back then, but <laughs> she's still a girl. She's a woman. Um, Not yeah, yet a woman. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, yeah. And then, um, after school, you know, move, after college, moved to the city and, uh, well, yeah, you went to college, you went to Lehigh. My I dad did. went to Lehigh, but you, you went there 40 years later <laughs> yeah. um did you like have any idea what you wanted to do absolutely not um did you like business or did you like i like did I, I double majored in finance and accounting and i i okay. didn't know it was just like you're an immigrant you you have to have accounting on there you know just in case yeah <laughs> and i'm glad i did actually because i i ended up working at kpmg in consulting after school and um you know through the recession we had plenty of plenty of businesses doing a lot of, you know, it was some bankruptcy work, some restructuring yeah. work. So I was lucky. Is that a good training ground for like what you're doing now? It was, in some ways it was, I mean, it was broad consulting work. It wasn't quite as real estate focused, but mm. I got, I got to work on some real estate transactions. And then, you know, I think that sort of inspired a pivot to real estate. Um, was there like a skill set you learned there that you kind of use now maybe like modeling skills or something yeah. like that yeah i mean i think everything early career it was a lot of um it was client service i think is a really great place to start a career because mm -hmm. you learn how to deal with multiple clients multiple personalities and needs um how to present you know your findings or message on a particular strategy to a client how to deal with very demanding people professionalism, all that stuff applies throughout your career, I think. Um, yeah. And certainly Excel and, you know, all, all of those skills are also helpful. But I think less so. I think what's more helpful is learning how to deal with um, difficult clients, um, you know, and how to communicate to them. 
And then you, I, yeah. Did you like get an interest in real estate there? I did. Yeah. I worked a little bit on real estate and then, um, but it was, you know, it wasn't just real estate consulting. We had all clients from all different industries. And then I, mo I moved to consulting at Cushman, um, which was basically large landlord rep assignments or sale leasebacks. They would bring in a consulting team to advise on that. And so it was sort of a blend of the real estate interest with what I'd been doing, which was consulting. So that was the step there. And that, what, like, what, what did you learn there? How to deal with difficult clients? <laughs> well, that, that, but um, I learned a lot about real estate, you know, how do clients select a location? How do they negotiate a big lease? Um, how do they, you know, decide whether to lease something, whether to buy it? Um, you know, just the, just the one-on-one really the basics. Um, gotcha. so that was really helpful. And, and how then, did you end up in mid with Midwood? You know, I think um, I'd heard about a few opportunities. I was sort of ready to leave and go work for an owner. Yeah. And Midwood was one of them. And I asked um, one of this guy, Gus Field, who now I think heads up leasing at Tishman. But hmm. I asked him, you know, if he were me and he were going to go work for any principal, any, any person in the industry, who would he go to and he said John Usan. So he had done oh, wow. his um, landlord rep work. And um that was like the only guy he could think of that would be a good mentor and well that's nice that you, you ended up working there. How'd you get over there? The rest the rest is history, huh? Yeah. Well how um, did you like I mean you I mean they were you didn't looking have... for a director of acquisitions and um you know I didn't have acquisitions experience. Yeah so you didn't have the direct experience. So how did you <laughs> Yes, yeah, so I think it would have been hard to go work for without the direct experience um, to go work for, you know, uh, KKR or, you know, whatever, Carlisle, one of the PE shops. Mm -hmm. But because it was a family office, I think John didn't care as much about like the direct acquisitions experience. He cared more mm -hmm. about the thought process and the, you know, ability to figure it out over time. Um, and he's a good teacher. So I think he doesn't mind having to bring someone up to speed, you know, what were the first things like, like, remember your first six months, like what were the first things you learned that you didn't know? Like, what did they, what, what did you learn when you started in acquisitions? I mean, how to really evaluate a piece of real estate other than just quick pro forma. You know, we used to, um, before this was before we had a data analytics platform. If hmm. we were looking at a piece of real estate in a neighborhood, you know, I wasn't familiar with, we'd go inside like a local bodega and see what they were selling. I mean, it was like really <laughs> ground, you know, ground truth stuff. That's interesting. We'd go see like, are there IPA do they sell, do they sell Lucy's? organic yogurts in a neighborhood that like, you know, on the outside looks maybe a little rough and tumble, mm. um, you know, and just understanding what makes a good place to live, what kind of resources people want to live by, what makes a good retail buy, where do tenants want to be? How do you think about what kind of volume a tenant can generate at a location? Where do, you know, renters want to be and why, and what are they able to and willing to pay in a location? So really just like the basics of how to evaluate a deal and an asset. Um, 
it was, you know, I think I learned more, you know, just doing that stuff than anything else. Yeah. But I also a lot of our clients now. Yeah. A lot of our clients now won't won't hire an acquisitions or investment person unless they're like advanced proficient with Argus. So it's it's great that he took a shot on you and and you know it looks like it worked out too. It worked <laughs> out. Yeah. Argus is absolutely. a bad rap. It's not so bad. <laughs> but, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I got my MBA in the meantime also. Part oh, yeah, yeah. You got your MBA from Stern, right? So that was my side hustle. So, I mean, you're, uh, Mike and I, I've been doing this, like I said, like 20 years. I mean, there's not many women that are chief investment officers just putting it, you know. No. I know most like, of them. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, like, yeah. One, What's, I mean, do you see that changing a little bit? Are there more women in like investment roles? Like you typically see women in like, you know, leasing or some, you know, asset management or, you know, they're not out there as chief investment officers. Um, do you see that changing at all? Like women coming up the ranks and kind of how, how was it like, you know, I guess being most of the rooms you're probably in are, are it's all a bunch of guys. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. You handle it well, but you know, it's gotten a lot easier, I think. Um, first there's been a big push, right, just in the industry. Um, there's organizations like WX and a bunch of others that try to at least at minimum get women to help each other. Um yeah. <laughs> you know, through through the way. I think the hardest part is really just the flexibility piece is always hard. I see, you know, there's a ton of women in the um analyst associate roles, you know, they come out of college, they love it. And then they can't find a way to, to balance everything. So they sort of move like family, to, family life. You mean? Exactly. Um, and I think that's COVID may be great help to that piece of the puzzle, just keeping those women in the workforce, even if it's, you know, hybrid or whatever, because that's a big, we, I think we lose a lot of that subset during those years. Oh, uh, so there's like analyst associate levels, but once they hit that point where they're like wanting yeah. to have children or whatever, they kind of go a different route. Yeah. And I think it's gotten a lot better because I think companies have realized the benefit of trying to retain women through that um, period of their lives. Um, mm. But mm -hmm. so it's gotten better, but it's just going to take some time for that subset to grow um, and grow into, you know, the executive level but it certainly happened and there's you know there's a huge network in new york of uh women and cio positions or managing large pools of capital so are you involved with like any of those organizations like what do you see wx it was yeah wx is the main one i'm i just i'm a member but i you know yeah. um it's a great it's a it's a wonderful organization for sure um and there are others there are, you know a ton of others that try to foster that so I think that's helped, but you know, it's not always easy, especially if you have to yeah. travel a lot. I think that that piece also becomes challenging. It's just difficult for a lot of people. Yeah. But. Yeah. Um, thank you for, thank you for answering that. Um, is it hot in the, on the Hamptons right now? <laughs> um, it's hot. Yeah. It's summer. Are you ready to get hotter with the hot seat? Oh no, what's the hot seat? Oh!
The Hot Seat is sponsored by KK Reset. KK Reset is an HR management and outsourcing consulting firm that specializes in helping organizations to reset their culture, structure, and path. They do this through services which include comprehensive consultation to identify gaps and opportunities for corporate training programs, HR services, and career mapping services. They've collaborated with nonprofit startups and academic organizations to protect them from liabilities, reduce turnover, and preserve their brands. They have also collaborated with a number of my clients on the real estate front who are not large enough to have their own in-house HR program. So. They outsource it to KK Reset. KK Reset comes in, maybe sits on site a couple days a week and provides you know everything you need from an HR perspective for your, for your firm. So it's a great uh, resource for those shops who just maybe it doesn't make sense for them to have in-house HR function. Um, so please check them out at kkreset.com, K-K-R-E-S-E-T.com. These are the questions we ask every guest. I'm excited to hear I'll ask that. the first one. Do you have a book or podcast recommendation? Um, well, this podcast is my number one best. recommendation to everyone. I know, right before you came on, you said, I haven't listened to your <laughs> podcast ever. I actually, yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> of course. This is my number one favorite. But after that, um, I listened to all the big ones. Tim Ferriss, Joe Rogan, Rock G. They're all, you know. Uh, uh-huh. I think this kind of thing the more podcasts you do, the better you get at it. So some of the, you know, some of those guys have done hundreds. So they're really good. Oh, so you're saying that I should be, I should do more. No, it should be a lot better. <laughs> you're doing great. <laughs> We're all rooting for you. Yeah. Okay. I'm rooting for you. No, they, you, you know, they're just depends on the guests. Obviously sometimes you get a boring guest at me and there's nothing you can I know. do. About it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but any books, have you had any books that like, like, you're like any real estate related books or anything or business books that you're like so so happy I read pick that. a favorite book i love the, the most recent one i read was um that i liked was titan it was about rockefeller oh cool yeah and uh he was just it's it's i guess you know he started i never really knew the story but he started out as like an accountant and just became oh. this ruthless you know magnate it's it's a cool story for sure and now he owns Rockefeller Records. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, that one was good. I mean, there's a bunch of others. Um, do you like biographies? I do. It depends on who they're on, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's cool to see, especially you know, people that really have sort of a different route. It's, yeah, yeah. It's cool too. You read. have a different route. Not quite like that, you know. Not taken down Bulgaria, <laughs> yeah. Jersey, Jersey, exactly. Jersey to Lehigh, the Hamptons to the Hamptons, Bulgaria, <laughs> Bayside, Lindhurst, Bethlehem. Yeah, I don't know about Lindhurst, Lindcroft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lindcroft, yeah, sorry, Lindhurst, 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 North Jersey. Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, to the Upper East Side, exactly. The upper East Side into Southampton, Bulgaria, Southampton. Girl. Every okay. Bulgarian girl's dream. Exactly. Um. <laughs> Moving on in the hot seat. Um, do you have any advice for anyone looking to start out in acquisitions? What would your best advice be? Man, keep your head up. You know, just keep going because, you know, when you start out, you have to do the 
the really tough stuff, like the cold calling and the, you know, arguing with sellers who tell you that their property is worth X when it's worth like, you know, a fraction of it. Um, I think it's, it's a really hard, this is like annoying advice to give, but if you could try not to focus on the outcome and just try to mm. focus on getting better day to day, it's, it's really, it takes a lot of the stress out of it. Like, did I do a better job today than yesterday as opposed to like, how many deals did I do or how, you know, whatever, um, whatever the, yeah. the achievements are, it makes it, it makes it challenging. A lot of rejection. It's a like lot recruiting. of rejection. It's like we get used to rejection. Um, well, you, what do you get look rejected, your candidates get rejected. It's a little different. Well, sometimes we pitch for, for jobs. Like we'll pitch for, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, say the midway wants to hire a, you know, you want to hire your right hand person. We'll pitch to get the, the, the search yeah, and right, we get right. rejected or candidates. We call, you know, you got to call a hundred candidates before you get five good ones. Yeah, that's that true. Work, you know what I mean? So, um, what do you look for when you're hiring people? Like, is there a skill set an attitude? Like what, what makes a good, someone who works for Teodora? We, I mean, we like self-starters cause it's a small company and there's not a lot of handholding. So we just, you know, we like to just find people that have that intrinsic motivation and that if they can't figure out something on the first shot, they'll really try to figure it out on their own a few times before, mm. you know, they, they want their hand help. I think it's just because we're lean and it's a small company, but we own a lot of assets and do a lot of different things. It's, it's not a place for someone who wants to be, you know, told what to do every step of the way. It's much better for someone who's entrepreneurial and can sort of figure things out on the go and, mm -hmm. you know, or like, you know, I remember when I started out and I didn't know there was a, there's just a lot of jargon and nomenclature yeah. and all this stuff and just ha like texting a friend during a meeting like literally what does this word mean you know yeah yeah what does yeah. this term mean stuff like that like just sort of always trying to figure things out similar yeah. to recruiting i mean mike is a test too it's like you know i didn't have a real estate background getting into, i had a little bit of a real estate background and and yeah, you just like you're talking to CFOs and like they're they're speaking this whole language. I have yeah. no idea or CIOs and no idea. And like, you know, over the years, it's like it's like if living if I lived in Italy, I would pick up battalion, right? Or something over a period of time. It's the same thing, just surrounded by people trying to read articles and figure out what all this stuff means and looking it up. And um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like it's uh, now we can all speak real estate. That's right. True subject matter expert. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one of those on this call and it's not, it's not, it's not Chris or I. <laughs> I don't know. I bet you guys have learned a lot, you know, oh, talking yeah. to all these people. We hear a lot. Yeah. We definitely hear a lot. You're going to ask yeah. that last question, Mike, or we're going to. Oh yeah. Last question. Um, Theodora, how does your, I guess your job kind of have an impact on either real estate or communities or people or just kind of moving the world forward since it is the impact real estate podcast. Yeah. I mean, nowadays what, what we try to do, especially on the development side is really take the future into account. So everything from parking, you know, like 
used to be that you had to build these monster garages. Um, right. Is that really like the way of the future? And we try to work through that in our zoning meetings and our entitlements. And even if the market expects it today, how do we build that so it's flexible in the future when people maybe aren't driving as much or, um, or you know, there's automated vehicles or there's, we put in EV, you know, charging stations. Mm -hmm. That was pretty clear that we're moving in that direction. We're right. putting solar on a bunch of our buildings. I mean, part of it is it makes sense too, but also I think moving forward, clearly what, what we're doing is not sustainable. Um, and mm. it's, it's easier to do a new development to build efficient buildings. We're building the first carbon neutral building in Boston, an office building. Oh. Um, but in development, it's, it's a lot easier when you're dealing with existing assets. Um, there's things you could do, but it's certainly more challenging. Uh, but it's something we think about on every single property we own. That's so. awesome. Uh, well, yeah. great answer. Cool. And Theodora Zobel, Chief nice Investment Officer you guys. at Midwood. Thanks for Thanks joining for coming us. On. Thank you. That Thanks was great. For